Welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, John Scardina. I just recorded a great 20-minute podcast and realized I didn't press record. This is why I need my producer, Amon, in the room. Uh, so I'm going to catch you guys back up. So today's uh, lesson, if you will, stealing from my friends at Disaster Class. Um, today, we're going to be talking about more of like a how-to on sit reps. I'm going to talk about the California Atmospheric River event what that means for you guys, um, what what that could apply to if you don't know what an atmospheric river event is or you don't really know what's been going on. And then I kind of want to use that very brief part of the conversation to talk about the meat of conversation about creating an enhanced next level sit rep. I am done with like wasting time in a disaster response with like nice to know information because I need to be able to make decisions and I want senior staff to be able to make decisions. So uh, just for everybody's situational awareness an atmospheric river event. Okay. Let's talk about uh, kind of the backdrop of that and um, why it's so important for California. So <clears throat> first you need to like back way up and think of El Nino and La Nina. El Nino for basic terms is it's going to be wetter um and if it's la nina type of year it's going to be more dry so california was predicted or forecasted that they're going to be in their third year of a la nina um experience or is going to be drier than average and um what happened was in the pacific ocean where these atmospheric rivers really start up uh, there was rapid evac uh, evaporation, which creates um, this term by meteorologists of atmospheric rivers. And the reason why they call that is because an atmospheric river can be a mile deep. And I forget like how wide, but they're just these massive, uh, you know, amounts of, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to keep saying that wrong, precipitation coming through and just dumping so much rain and heavy wind um, on a region. So it's something like 50% of California's precipitation is due to atmospheric rivers. So they're pretty used to it. But uh, Northern California, it's like 65%. However, again, it was forecasted that this was going to be a La Nina year. It's going to be dry, a dr really dry winter. And all of a sudden, this kicked up and it just been seemingly endless started in December. It's been still happening now and they expect it to continue for some time. And they're really trying to figure this out. Uh, these atmospheric rivers can cause up to a billion dollars of damage, economic damage every year. Um, since this one started over five and a half inches fell in downtown San Francisco, uh, essentially flooding everywhere. Um, the, the amount of flooding actually caused all six lanes of highway 101 to uh, be completely flooded. And if you know anything about California, that's like the major highway system. So if your roads are impacted and your major highways are impacted, um, what on top of all that, you have a major wind event. So on January 8th, I believe it was heavy rains fell. Uh, there was 70 miles an hour winds in Sacramento, and it knocked out uh, more than 345,000 customers or people uh, without power in Sacramento, which is obviously the capital. So big deal, right? Um, because of that, uh, they're worried about uh, flash flooding across California. There's 21 uh, major burn scars in the state right now that they're worried about where they could turn into mudslides. Um, we also worry about landslides, and I'll get to that later. But uh, it prompted the governor of California to declare a state of emergency on January 4th. And uh, the White House uh, issued a presidential declaration uh, of emergency, uh, a presidential emergency declaration um, in California on January 8th. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's disaster tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. 
The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Instinct Ready Kits are awesome, compact, fully loaded, and easy to place around your office, school, campus, warehouse, wherever. I keep a quick pack in my vehicle and one at home. Imagine Instinct Ready fully loaded Stop the Bleed Kits in every school and office. Get Instinct Ready Kits and training at InstinctReady.com. Okay, let's jump back in. So very, very quickly, within like what? two or three minutes, I noted the economic, I, I defined it, named the economic damage, um, helped you understand what was impacted. I didn't talk about the loss of life. There's always, there's uh, been over a dozen people who've uh, unfortunately been impacted. I did talk about the customers and, uh, you know, the, the power outage customers. Um, I provided location and I provided what the government was going to do about it. So two minutes, right? To be able to do that, there are a lot of sources um, that uh, you know I had to look at, confirm, identify, and to be able to speak competently about that. Um, we didn't even talk about like IVTs and what IVTs are, and that's important for measuring atmospheric river events. But as essentially, using that as a backdrop, you, that quick sit rep, I want to help uh, you build out your next enhanced next level sit rep. That encourages analysis and enhances decision making. It's again, it's time to throw out any document or meeting, especially in a response that doesn't increase the effectiveness of the response. Like I can't even tell you how many meetings I've been to, or uh, you know, like nice to know information that didn't really help. And um, you know, my role as an emergency manager, again, emergency manager, not just project manager, but an emergency manager is. My most important function is the response. I want to do everything before response to reduce uh, a response from happening. But if I'm in a response, I want to do everything I can to enhance decision-making for life-saving, life support as the strategic level of emergency services. And so uh, with that, um, I want to combine, I want to help you combine traditional situational awareness, which is pretty boring because uh, they say like inf it, sit, sit reps help inform decision makers. Screw that. Like if I'm going to hire somebody at Doberman or if I was going to go back into the public sector or be like the director of a emergency management program somewhere, I would want to empower my staff. I want to hire intelligent people to be able to look at, analyze and to provide us uh, an opinion to me. So by the time they put something on my desk, they say, Here's the problem. Here's the gap. Here's the solution. And I can say, I agree, I disagree, or tell me more. And um, that that empowering moment needs to happen in emergency management. We we leave too many intelligent people at the doorstep, and that's been a problem that I've seen. Where you resource unit leaders, planning support, GIS, whomever, having an idea because they're looking at it. And, you know, looking at the tactical level information to be able to combine it and turn it into a strategic coordination and they can provide it, provide that for you. So this is that idea. OK, I'm going to teach you how to um, essentially, again, combine traditional situational awareness with resource management and GIS. So those three ideas, combining that into a enhanced next level sit rep to create an amazing product that can be quote, easily updated. You, you should you should uh, hold me to that. It should be, be once you set this up, it will be easily updated. Um, it will take some lift, of course, but once it's done, you'll be able to really understand what is happening in order to make effective decisions. Again, I want the SIDL, the GIS person, the emergency management specialist to be able to make decisions. Able, and really before that, be able to analyze so they can make a, you know, um, informed decision. So, uh, I'm going to teach you how to build, uh, again, this uh, powerful ideal sit rep tool for tracking in an active disaster and what can be done in the future. That's really important for, for this. This can be completed by one person. Uh, so I could do this by myself or an entire planning section. I'm a big fan of teams. So if you have a staff, that's, uh, that's uh, the ideal situation. But I'll use the atmospheric river event in California as, uh, as if I was in Sacramento County. 
Um, you can also use this tool um, by combining open source information, API, stakeholder involvement, which is always important, and basic information. Of course, you can apply this to the private entity uh, as a private entity as well. Like I thought about if I was a, a director of a hospital system, like if I was in Roseville or something, um, using, again, open source information, geographically based, and I would create my own uh, what my own versions if I was in the private sector of lifelines. So uh, public sector has theirs. Private sector can use that as a as a way to start building their own. The one thing that, that I would call out about using community lifelines is starting to figure out like where you're, you, you know, you need to start tracking is one metric that uh, the private sector is much more aware of is uh, cyber risk. So I would make sure, uh, you know, you'd add that lifeline potentially cyber risk. Uh, so you'd have eight lifelines. Uh, I wouldn't combine cyber risk with security because physical security and cyber security are in so many ways, like the preventable actions are uh, totally different. And you still have to deal with nefarious actors who may be on site. However, um, again, there's those preventative actions could be totally different. So um, anyways, I want to provide this as, uh, again, a public entity as if I was the county. But um, I will also provide some private um, ideas that, like, again, if I was at a hospital campus. Um Ultimately, you don't want to be five days at Memorial. Uh, you want to have enough situational awareness to be able to make a call, not put your generators in a basement where it's going to flood. Um, that should be obvious. But also know when to evacuate and, and all this other stuff. Uh, building out a great sit rep each operational period or as things are spinning up, even in the planning phase, uh, as you're monitoring, um, building this out can dramatically uh, change how you operate. So... Uh, again, this is how you monitor, provide actions, items to consider, and support leadership as uh, they make the call. Again, they might have delegated that to you. Um, you know, definitely the legal authority, like the mayor or uh, the county board, um, even the president, uh, will uh, potentially, if they're doing it right, uh, uh, um, you know, there might be delegations of authorities there where you can act on behalf of, and hopefully they've empowered you to do that. Um, if they haven't, again, as you're building this out, this will just show that you can make the intelligent decisions. Okay, so I'm going to provide, I think, what is it, like seven seven things that you're going to want to put together. And um, I will briefly just overview. Uh, I'm going to talk about sources, uh, GIS, uh, understanding cascading impacts, four, compare known actions with the plan versus reality, Five, identify unique actions that must be taken. Uh, we'll talk about that. Seven, current, current state of lifelines. And um, we'll go from there. So sources. Sources. This is how you, do, this is how you justify your decision making. Again, you don't want to just like be following your gut. Like gut is important. But the more you have to follow the gut, uh, your gut, the less information you most likely have. So you don't want to create a chaos through guesswork. Again, you do not want to create chaos through guesswork. With an atmospheric river, we know essentially where the wind's going to blow and where the water is going to run. More importantly, not more importantly, uh, the, the, the water part's the easier part than the wind, to be honest. Um, we don't necessarily know uh, when everything's vulnerable, but PG&E turning off the power for PSPS events public safety power shutoff plan, uh, events shows us that we can um, uh, know where the wind's going to blow. So, um, okay. So sources should be anything that you will use to help you build your sit rep. Some data sources will be live. Some uh, will be static, others subjective. Yes, that's important to, to remember and to also include uh, others quantitative. I typically use 30 to 40 sources that I will run through every morning, including some with monitoring tagged on it. So like uh, warnings or alerts, uh, like whether it's USGS or NWS that can tell me if there's been a major uh, change or update like rubric gauges. Um, so just for the sake of the podcast, here are um, like some starting points and or just ideas to help you get the wheel spinning. I would write down your sources. I would, in fact, you can simply just um, start making like a, 
like an Excel spreadsheet, name, link, name, link, name, link, um, that kind of stuff. But uh, the National Weather Service, IVTs, Integrated Water Vapor Transport. Yes, that's IVT. Hilariously, doesn't include the W, the most important part of that. But IVTs, uh, Integrated Water Vapor Transport, that is the unit of measurement for atmospheric rivers. It's kind of nerdy stuff, but if you learn it, um, you know, it will, uh, if you learn what it means, all the better, right? Uh, wind, of course, where it's going, how strong it is, river gauges, at what level, if they're flooding, how, and, and how much they're flooding, uh, precipitation forecasts, uh, especially the short-term ones, as they're more uh, typically reliable. Um, that will help you combine ideas there. Uh, sources like utilities, like uh, SMUD or PG&E, the power outages, how we know that there was 445,000 people without power. Uh, DOT, uh, Department of Transportation, your road closers. That's a really obvious one for commodities, supply chain, and uh, you know just for people's situational awareness so that they can make their own decisions as they're trying to go out on the roads. Um, in our day and age, Definitely social media monitoring uh, with keywords and images geographically based uh, so you can root out uh, the fake versus the real uh, allows you if something's uh, happening in real time so that you can alert uh, stakeholders of like, hey, we're, we're just aware of this. Big shout out to the Red Cross who's been doing this for uh, quite some time and they have a sophisticated uh, social media monitoring um, you know, platform now. Uh, news outlet monitoring. Of course, we know that the news uh, wants to be first, not always right. However, because they have a ton of resources to dive into being first, they can let you know of an issue and that you know the whole reporting process to allow you to identify a, a potential gap that you might not be aware of, those stories, right? So you're definitely going to want to look at that, like what's happening in the news. Um, they can also get you eyes on, um, of course. Uh, Cal Fire resident data when i say resident data i mean like inpatient hospital residents um you know nursing home that kind of stuff or census data if you're in the public uh historical flood maps and enough enough ip data we talk about how um flood maps are historical flood maps are becoming less reliable because of um, um because of climate change or climate adaptation but the reality is like historical uh, flooding events can let us know where potential vulnerabilities lie and where to target resources and staging. Um, it's a starting point, right? Uh, USGS, uh, man, that, this one's huge, right? USGS can tell you a lot about um, the ground <laughs> above it, under it, uh, sediment types, uh, you know, tell, tell you the difference between uh, burn scars and with Cal Fire and where you could potentially have mudslides versus landslides and, um, uh, you know, ordered evacu evacuations there. You want to use Army Corps of Engineers for dams and levee updates and reporting. I would definitely get um, a panel of um, expert liaisons from either different agencies or, uh, you know, labs or whatever to uh, inform you of um, what's happening with different stakeholders and uh, different data sets. Um, current building uh, occupancy and availability of beds. Again, this is my hospital version. Um, lifeline static data. Lifeline static data is typically provided by DHS. I used HSIN or HSIP in the past when I was in public sector. Um, this can tell you Things like where law enforcement's located, the firehouses, EMS locations, which are, you know, uh, separated in most places. Uh, we can uh, tell you where the pre-identified uh, Red Cross shelters are. Red Cross should be able to uh, tell you um, how many people are, are in um, in those uh, shelters. And um, you want a, an official source there. Critical, commu com critical communications, critical infrastructure, uh, things that you need to protect. Uh, big one is hazmat, so hazardous material routes, facilities, storage, and types. And then any modeling that is accepted or recognized sources for the entire disaster response. So a national lab, a university, uh, FEMA, big shout out to FEMA Region 8 and Paul over there um, for coming up with uh, something that we can all agree on where 
uh, you know, starting to do some predictive analysis. So once you have your source of your sources all compiled, you can just uh, build it out and review, analyze, uh, compare and contrast and start to formalize an opinion. In order to do that, you're going to need some kind of GIS capability. I mean, that, I think that's just kind of the future of emergency management. It's a, it's a really analytical process of GIS. So I would use that to build out a um, like an uh, interactive GIS tool. And I say interactive because while you do want to create a PDF version for this so you can print it, like really like what is much more effective for decision making is the ability to zoom, click, turn, turn off layers, all that stuff to be able to help you understand what's going on very quickly. Static maps don't allow you to do that. It also doesn't allow you to put in live data. So you want to be able to look at that at all times. Also fantastic if you're trying to build out, I don't know, like mitigation and planning all before disaster. So obviously we want to create that, that visual tool or that area um, that can uh, help us understand like what's happening in the county or in the, that hospital campus uh, by building, by the way, if you're going to do a campus, uh, the proximity to of flooding and wind damage and, uh, and or the potential cascading impact. So I want to be able to see all of that on my GIS map as layers. Uh, number three, understand cascading impacts by location. This is like that big, big brain moment where you need to understand if a hazard happens, what are all the other things that could happen off of that? And that will tell you with limited resources and time where to direct or identify potential issues and how big of a concern that should be. Order evacuations, whatever it needs to be. So um, again, understanding cascading impacts. The way I like to use this as is not what ifs, but if then statements. Like, what if the world was going to explode tomorrow? Well, then you don't need to do emergency management because we're all dead, right? But if you can say, okay, if this levee goes, then these 500 flood, uh, homes will flood. Okay. Um, Army Corps of Engineers noted that it's, uh, you know, it's really vulnerable. They've had issues with this levee in the past. Maybe you want to start looking at the flooding levels over there or this dam, whatever it may be. Uh, so if then statements, so you can identify areas of, um, of critical importance and uh, the likelihood that there will be a cascading impact off of that. So if then with, um, with a rating on it. So based on the sources, your GIS tool and understanding cascading impacts from uh, severe um, um, to, you know, um, totally fine uh, for, for flooding, for example, you can look at, uh, mudslides with the burn scars, those 21 burn scars or, um, you know, landslides. So, uh, my example that I wrote down here is, uh, this hill is more, vo more vulnerable to mudslides due to soil type and a lack of mitigation after, um, after the, the uh, wildfire a couple years, if X hill creates a mudslides, then this number of homes will be impacted, right? Uh, the risk is high, medium, or low based off of Army Corps of Engineers analysis and maybe Cal Fire and some other groups. Uh, consider evacuations if, you know, these conditions are met. Three more inches of rainfall in the area or whatever you, whatever you have it. So make a condition for a solution. Uh, number four, compare known actions with the uh, within the plan versus reality. So you want to identify all the resources. That's our, This is that resource uh, part. Identify resources and staging uh, within your plan and put them on a layer as a map. And then make sure that those, uh, those resources in your plan are available, up to date, and readily available. If not, or there are new resources available, make sure to track this. So create a list of resources and staging locations. This is pretty standard uh, ICS stuff, so uh, probably not a big shocker to uh, this idea of a sit rep. Uh, what is surprising for most people is that the this idea should be included in the sit rep. Uh, you know, we put in our ICS forms or two hundred fours or two whatevers, and um, you know, we IEP we you know we sign it off. But really, this should um, a, a a brief overview should be included in um, in your sit rep. Um, 
some people do include it, but it's not always included. And so I always call that out uh, for a hospital campus system or for a university. I would quickly confirm the quantities of on-site resources like PPE and food, fuel, whatever it may be, and to make sure that you can operate, um, you know, uh, in terms of resources. Um, number five, identify unique actions that must be taken. Current ops period, three days out, one week, and the metrics for response to recovery. So this is like all the stakeholder involvement part. Um, all the stakeholders should come to you. This is really the fun part, right? Like they should, you should set up a working group with each stakeholder providing input on their actions or set up a meeting just to confirm. So they might send you like every day by 0800, they have to send you bullet points of like what they're working on. And so you can put that in there again, ICS stuff, but you are, want to put it in the context of a sit, sit rep so that everybody can uh, make sure that like, Hey, these 15 parties, there's not like too much redundancy here, or, you know, we're all not ordering the same thing. Gosh, I've seen that so many times. Like, hey, we have 42 million gowns, no joke, uh, that were ordered and they only need four. It's like, uh, like four million. So it's like, okay, so you ordered an extra 38 million gowns, right? Like, we want to uh, nip that in the butt as fast as possible. Um, the real trick here is to get people to think in advance. So, uh, despite the chaos of the moment, always push for stabilization, then normalization. We can talk about that a little bit later, but push for stabilization, then normalization, capture action items that push for that. So ops period, three days out one week, uh, you know how to stabilize. Okay. So number seven, the current state of lifelines, you want a viewer of this and you want the stats. So the GIS side and you want the data. So like hands down, the best place I've seen that does this is Florida. Hurricane Harvey in uh, Texas uh, was extremely effective uh, for tracking this stuff because we developed the fundamentals. Big shout out to Patrick Begin of Lifelines. Uh, but the viewer concept was really already uh, like highly sophisticated and in play in Florida like the year before at least. So they had different metrics. They weren't calling them lifelines, but they were tracking everything. And you could see by county where they were. So if you must, you can set up metrics for, uh, for success and response. But I think this is one of your definitely your blue sky moments where you want to sit down and you want to be able to determine, not just from the legal perspective, but from a success perspective, what does normal look like? What does improving look like? What does degrading look like? What does stabilization look like? And I would uh, use the following color uh, system. So for normality or normal, obviously green, that's your pretty simple one. Improving, i.e. it was bad and now it's getting better. Yellow, degrading, it's getting worse. Red, stabilization or stabilizing blue. So normal green, improving yellow, degrading red, stabilizing blue. Um, as a side note, before I get into kind of like my scenario here, for ADA compliant, uh, you're going to want to identify um, this with something different than colors. However, like uh, ADA compliant is for a specific audience, right? It isn't best for everyone. So I have seen people try to combine all of the above. So like they use like every version of crosshatch, vertical lines, horizontal lines, thick dots, thin dots, large symbol text, like all this other stuff. And oh my gosh, I feel like I'm going to have a seizure just by like seeing all the different millions of lines that, and ideas, like cute ideas that people come up with. And I don't think it really helps people who um, have ADA needs i.e. need to be able to look at it without color. So my suggestion was, would be able to, to make something very simple. And here it is. Use the colors, green, yellow, red, or blue, and overlay with black text with a white mask. So if my, um, if my county is normal for the lifeline security, I would color the county green, like a standard green. And then I would put like a white mask or a white background over the, the letters with black text, text saying uh, green or more importantly, normal. 
right? So that covers everything. So the the people who are looking at it very quickly, which is what is supposed to be a quick reference guide, can say, okay, this is all green, all yellow, all red. And the people who need to be able to read it uh, because of the, the color issue, they can say, hey, this all says normal. This all says improving. This says degrading. This is stabilizing, whatever. Okay, so here's my example of a timeline uh, for an atmospheric river event in Sacramento. So we know that trees brought blocked like some like 50 roads or more. So um, by the way, there's a really funny Instagram video where somebody's like, let me tell you about the atmospheric river in Sacramento. Trees down, trees down, trees down. It's like all these pictures of trees and roads. Um, it's kind of an amusing video. But uh, I would highlight uh, if I was going to do like roads that are blocked, I would highlight transportation as my lifeline as red because we just identified 50 roads are blocked on day one on day two or ops period two uh the number of roads blocked might be reduced to 12 the transportation transportation now is yellow because it's improving on day three there's heavy rainfall so the mission is halted but transportation was rerouted around the roads that were blocked okay so i would take transportation and uh call it blue for stabilizing um, because we found a way around it, even though it's not normal operations. Day four, uh, the rain stopped, so the number of roads uh, that were blocked re were reduced to three from 12. So it's yellow, it's improving again. And finally, on day five, all roads are operational green. Uh, you may never need to use a stabilization identifier, but it's kind of nice to have if you want to indicate that the operations are not normal but solutions have been made to at least prevent further issue temporarily. Okay. Uh, for a county, you want to make sure that, uh, or you not make sure, an option would be to have a countywide map with tabs for each, um, each lifeline and uh, identifier of, um, you know, the level of impact. Um, for a campus system, I would separate this by facility. I would also pre have pre-identified priority facilities, such as a research center or uh, inpatient slash resident facilities that, um, you know, if one facility is not very important, i.e. it's a storage of, I don't know, trash cans, then if it goes red, okay, we don't really need to make that very important to get that operational again. However, if it's another facility with people in it, definitely want to have that a priority. So, you, you, you want to get that back to green as fast as possible. Okay. And then um, number, what was that? Uh, so that was six technically. So the current state of lifelines, my bad. So current state of lifelines was six with a viewer and stats. And then number seven is to simplify everything. So you just took all this information, these sources, all this stuff. You're starting to analyze it. You're coming up with information and that's all internal to you, okay? So now you want to create an overview to be able to share with other people. This, I'm going to do as much detail as possible to help you actually build it out. So this is what it would look like by the time you're done setting everything up, um, is to, again, simplify it. I would make this on like maybe an Esri uh, platform or um, uh, like a similar live viewer. Um, so you should you should also make a PDF version and save it and then add it to the list of links um, at the end of all this so that people want to look at our previous SIP reps, um, especially if it's a daily SIP rep or an operational period SIP rep, they can understand like the timeline of what's been happening. Um, and that can really help you out in the long run, too, especially with after actions. Like, why did this stuff keep going back into the red? Uh, let's talk about that. So in any case, um, if I was going to like literally build out an interactive viewer on a platform, I would always put my logo at the top, probably the top left corner. Again, I'm going to be really detailed here, tactical. Uh, logo on the top left corner. Then I would uh, directly under that, I would put the disaster name or the disaster identifier. I would put the date and the time range of when the information is valid. That's very important. Like this will be updated um, you know, tomorrow by 0800, for example. Um, then I would follow that by the person in charge of compiling the information, take responsibility, take ownership of it. Don't be afraid of it. Um, and then I would follow that by the team if necessary. So you might say, Hey, I'm John. 
um, in charge of, uh, you know, like person in charge of this. So you might say like, um, uh, person responsible, John, uh, as Siddle, uh, with planning section team of, you know, Sacramento County. Um, then I would either give it a subject if it was in a memo style, or if it was in an, if it was a, um, a live viewer, I'd put a title right in the center, um, large text, um, saying enhanced sit reps. So they know it's not just information you're going to be providing insights, um, or your opinion, uh, off of that. So <clears throat> immediately followed your title. You're going to want to have the, the viewer. So your full, large, full screen, um, centered, a GIS map, an active map with the disaster overlaid, anticipated slash forecast areas of impact, layer with cascading impact hazard locations, uh, layer of uh, the current state of lifelines as pre-identified in the plan, and the layer of deployed resources um, slash staging. So like literally I can click on two or three, four different layers and I can see very quickly in you know 30 seconds or less everything about my disaster what's happening what could happen where's everything at and so i've identified vulnerabilities and i can make a plan off of that directly under my map i would create a bluff uh, this is typically a military term but this is bottom line up front bottom line up front a bluff and that would be your action items by agency or by group so you're going to want to name that group or agency provide the high priority missions with specific tasks so this is like definitely bullet point uh, moment. All this really should be bullet point. But um, if you're going to answer for your EM internal group only, provide what you are going to do. Make a bullet point. Um, name, make it bullet point again. Name the areas of concern and why. So, uh, you know, atmospheric river, this is your event. This is your date range. The next 24 hours, we are going to uh, open up three Red Cross shelters uh, we're going to set up a, you know, five warming centers. We're going to um, um, order, you know, 500 extra beds, uh, you know, to be delivered or cots to be delivered with um, Salvation Army providing food, whatever. So like all that stuff, just like bullet points. So I know exactly what everybody's doing. I'm then going to provide an opinion um, and uh, I'm going to name an issue and what the team should do about it. So. I now understand what everybody's doing. And as a, an intelligent person, I'm going to say, hey, based off of what everybody's doing, here's a gap or here's a potential issue that you need to be aware of. So as they read it, they can say, okay, next ops period, or we need to make an adjustment right now to fix it. Okay. So that's, that's like the big brain moment, right? Um, next, after you identify your opinion um, based off of uh, all the actions, you're going to name all the priorities. So uh, the priorities really is uh, different from actions because um, the priorities are more high level. And that really shouldn't change too much. But uh, the priority of Red Cross shelters, as soon as they're done opening more, their number one priority is to close the Red Cross shelter. So everybody's working towards getting people into long-term housing solutions, right? Or back home. So uh, you can just be tracking that. Um, next is the current situation. Um, again, this is kind of the, the more of nice to knows, but important for uh, your PIO, public relations, um, you know, senior leadership, whomever. We need to talk about this stuff. So um, bullet point stats would include the number of people or potentially staff uh, displaced or impacted and how they're impacted, um, i.e., if they have been displaced or um, if there were casualties, um, potential financial impact, that should be an obvious one for a lot of reasons, mostly for public sector to, to provide justifications uh, for declaration, the geographic area of impact. So how wide it is um, as needed um, for context, um, a timeline viewer of the lifeline. So again, you want to be able to show that things are improving over time. And if they're, they're degrading over time, or they're getting worse, or they they can't consistently get better. You need to be able to identify why, um, so that timeline can be really helpful. So uh, pre-identified metrics for normal normality, improving, degrading, or stabilization, or stabilizing. So um, be able to see um, consistently things are happening. Um, okay, and then 
Uh, I would also provide like a one to two, like after all my bullet points, I would provide like a one to two paragraph um, explaining the issues again as needed. So these are all the stats. This is why. Um, so um, that's just, again, more justification to um, put in there. Um, after your current situation, I would put in the anticipated impacts or, you know, potential cascading impacts. So again, bullet point by locations with stats, date and time range, depicting when the issues will occur, when the issues will occur. So if I can say, Hey, we're expecting more rainfall that will have three more inches of rain. We were told by army Corps of engineers that if that three inches uh, lands on that hill, then um, the hill will be too saturated and you could potentially have landslides. We need to evacuate, evacuate people, um, you know, uh, by next Tuesday, whatever. So bullet point with anticipated impacts so they can adjust resources as needed. Um, and so that other groups can order those resources, right? Whether it's logistics or um, working with stakeholders like uh, the sheriff's department, whatever, to get people out. Um, next, uh, cascading impacts. So anticipated impacts and cascading impacts, the if then statements. Um, now I kind of, uh, walked through that, you know, at, with my Hill experience that I just provided, but, um, the first one is based off of, um, like, like hard data that's coming in. It's, uh, we're going to have three more inches next week. Cascading impacts are like more like monitoring. So, um, again that's like you're taking all that data from before and you're saying like the if then if we get this or something changes and happens to that then we need to do this um and then i would also rate the likelihood of occurrence so if i don't know about participation oh my gosh uh precipitation coming in next week again by next tuesday but i know it's another three inches of rain if there's the saturation stays that high then i can say if three more inches of rain fall in this area then you're going to need to evacuate this many of homes and the likelihood of ha that happening is low because there's currently no rain um, predicted over the next two weeks, whatever that is just allows people to, again, keep thinking strategically and down the line. Um, and then the last thing you're going to want to put in is a link to resources. So as I'm building out this overview um, I want to be able to justify very quickly that I didn't just come up with this on my own, that I'm an intelligent person and uh, education and uh, research has allowed me to provide you uh, intelligent information. So again, if you have to go to Congress or somewhere else uh, or your boss does, then uh, that's all justified. So a link to all the resources, it can just be a static list. It can be that 30 to 40 resources that you use to can't come up with all this information. Um Again, my overview, um, I'm just going to read this one more time. My, my overview, logo, uh, general information like disaster name, the date range, uh, who's putting it together. It's an enhanced sit rep. Um, I've combined resources, GIS, and traditional sit rep information. I'm going to tell them what to do in my bluff, provide an opinion, uh, provide a, uh, pri uh, priorities, I'm going to include this current situation, uh, anticipated impacts, cascading impacts, the if-thens, and links. So if you put this all together, you can have both a live viewer and a two-page front and back PDF that will tell leadership everything they need to know about the incident. Public relations will be able to speak to the media with uh, current uh, status of things and with accuracy. And most importantly, you will only need to update the information as it changes. I can't even tell you how many times I had to update like the stupid IEP maps like every day, even though nothing changed on it. So if it's a live viewer, then you know you don't have to necessarily update it. Um, during a response, the just like so everybody knows, especially if you haven't been in like a catastrophic disaster response, the missions will grow. Like it'll start off really basic and then they will grow. There'll be more missions, then they will stabilize. There won't be more missions added and then they'll start to decrease those missions will start to fall off it may start off again as simple as this is life-saving life-sustaining like we're just trying to figure this thing out uh, then it will change to like areas of focus um, and after the full scope of the disaster has been captured finally the priorities will decrease uh, once locations are fully caught up to the needs 
Um, if you do this correctly, your sources and your stakeholders, uh, your really your stakeholder input will pre-fill your GIS map, your action items, and your areas of concern. Right? It will fill out most of this for you. You can then do analysis to think beyond the current operational period and identify gaps that leadership um, should um, should have to be able to to be made, made aware. Essentially, whomever you read your enhanced next level sit reps or whomever will read your next level sit reps uh, will be able to follow this train of thought as they read down the two page report. Again, following my steps here for you. First, they will understand the incident scope. That answers the question of why. Then you'll provide actions. That answers the question of how. You will name resources. That answers the question of what. You'll provide impact overview with a timeline. That answers the question of when. Uh, you will have your resources or your sources. That answers the question of trust. That's very important. And uh, lastly, all of this combined answer the question of he, who needs to be involved, right? Who are all your people that need to be involved in this? Um, unlike the phrase who, what, when, where, and why, we always start with why in a disaster, then followed by how, i.e. I. how to fix, and then uh, what we will do to fix it. So we start with why, then how, then what we'll do to do about it. So um, that's that's kind of where my train of thought comes in here. If you haven't really built like this kind of sit rep before, uh, again, we need to move on from like nice to know information to trusted emergency managers at all levels, answering questions and providing insight. A consensus grows uh, within that team for action items and priorities and gaps identified to a solve that gives those with the authority, the ability and kind of confidence uh, to make the right call. Um, it also allows those in authority to quickly identify gaps in knowledge or awareness so they can accurately judge or weigh the risk of their choices. So the more information you give them in bullet point form, one page, two point, two page, live viewer, done. It's uh, it's all taken care of. Now again, the lift to set this up sounds extensive. It is. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, but the more you can do in blue skies to set up the stuff like your sources, your stakeholders, uh, your uh, you know knowing your resources and staging, all that stuff. Man, it could can give you a phenomenal, phenomenal tool that everybody across the disaster can have and uh, allows those in authority to make decisions. It also allows PIOs, public relations, whomever, to create their own watered-down version of this very quickly to be able to give it out to the public so that the public uh, can make their own informed decisions based off of what you're providing here. We already do this, right? PIOs tell you that, hey, this is a disaster. This is what you should do. We're going to order evacuations. And we tell that to the public. Imagine the public feeling much more informed with uh, you know, very quick viewers of why, how, and what. So that's my podcast today. I Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully this helped you out as uh, you're walking through this. This is a, what, 48-minute uh, podcast. Um, you know... I really hope that as we emergency man we as emergency managers move further and further into uh, the ability to make decisions at all levels. Wink, one quick shout out if you've already li listened all the way through. Um, I'm going to put this at the end here. I saw the other day that somebody said emergency managers are not first responders. I was ready to explode. I'm not going to lie. I, I saw like 150 people like it. They agreed. They they did all this stuff. I'm going to pump the brakes on that real fast. Okay. This is my call out of why emergency managers are first responders. You better be able to tell every emergency manager globally who is embedded in conflict zones that they're not in response. You better be able to tell emergency managers who don't, who get the call at two o'clock in the morning to deploy or to help out in a response or my friend at UVA who was sending out mass notifications from 10.30 p.m. till noon the next day, again, every 15 minutes during an active shooter. You better be able to tell those who do mass care and emergency management, which is emergency management strategic level, is pretty tactical that they're not. And you be able to, be able to, you have to be able to tell 
us that first responders are there first, even though you're including USAR, because urban search and rescue typically doesn't show up for another 12 hours after response happens. So a first responder is somebody, a professional who gets involved. I'm tired of the first responder, second responder BS. It's emergency services. If I wake up in the middle of the night to go help out somebody, I'm in a response and I'm right there. And the more emergency managers believe that lie that they're not first responders or they're not supposed to be in response. I've heard that BS too. You start to turn into project managers. Never forget the origin of who really pushed that emergency managers should not be called first responders because that individual, although they have a lot of weight, works in the private sector and their company makes a ton of money doing mitigation and almost nothing in response. That's why they're pushing for it. And I don't want us to, to follow that at all. So really bold statement. If you're an emergency manager, you better be able to work in an emergency. And the more you push for yourself to be called a first responder, even though you're not tactical, it's not like a firefighter is like saying, well, my job's different now. And so I must not be a first responder. That's absolutely, you know, baloney, right? That's probably the best word for that, right? Like, your job is totally different. You are this, the tactical, you're not the tactical level, you're the strategic level. You're supposed to be doing coordination, but you're supposed to be embedded completely. I don't know of any other industry that puts tactical above strategic. You look at the military, you look at the private sector, you look at hospitals, you look at, uh, you know, even structures of companies. It would be ridiculous to say that the tactical people in my company are the bosses of the people who think strategically. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And especially if they've been given the authorities to act. That doesn't take away from our tactical tactical partners in first response, fire, police, EMS, USAR, who are doing a tactical job. And um, you know, all the credit. They they are heroes in their own right. However, I want to be respected as an emergency manager who is embedded in response. And I want all of my counterparts in emergency management to quickly be able to say, I will go if I get the call or I want to be there. I want to be there to help, support, provide guidance. Again, another great example is of those in a dispatch center. Are they first responders? Absolutely. Do they Are they tactical? Not really, right? They're taking a phone call that you could call that a tactical, but they're not hands-on with the survivor. However, they are definitely involved in that mix and uh, they should be included in that as well. So that's my big call out at the end. If you listen to this all the way to the end, you got to hear that little snippet from me and we'll see you for the next one.